Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Selling From Why podcast. I'm your host, Andrew James, and on this week's podcast, we're going to take some time to dive into at least a little bit deeper on the internal and external impacts of the marketplace as it affects a small and mid-sized business. In our podcast from last week, I began talking a little bit about why I chose to write the book Selling From Why and exactly what some of the priorities are right now for PEO salespeople in the industry as they tackle what's going on for businesses that they're attempting to be a partner and a solution for. Thanks again for joining. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And once again, this is Andrew James, and this is the Selling From Why podcast. In this podcast, I want to dig in a little bit deeper on some of the elements of that initial podcast. And the purpose really of this podcast is to elaborate on the idea that PEO salespeople as a group need a better understanding of the market impacts to the SMB community. And during my first podcast, I did a little bit of that. I dug into two of the ways in which a small and mid-sized company can be impacted by the marketplace, and that was both internally and externally. In today's recording, I want to really elaborate on those concepts and contextualize the idea of internal and external struggles for the small and mid-sized business as it relates to today, but more importantly, as it relates to a better understanding for the PEO sales industry and PEO sales professionals. In doing this examination, I think it's great and it's a, it's a good starting out point to just simply say that what's going on in the marketplace today for the small and mid-sized business, for the owners that most PEO professionals will meet with, is really a toughening up, a, a increasing inability of the small and mid-sized company to remain competitive in the marketplace. Not just competitive against their rivals or other businesses across town that may be doing the things that they do, but more so competitive from the standpoint of remaining efficient, operating from a lean business infrastructure and continuing to push their ideas, their solutions, their their business model into the marketplace. So in order to do this, I wanted to first start by really looking at how a business forms in the first place. And I don't necessarily mean how it forms in the legal sense in terms of what structure does it become? Is it an S-corp or an LLC, a sole proprietorship? But more so understanding what's going on in the mind of a business owner as they begin to form their business. So to do that, let's start with what that really looks like. When you think of most small and mid-sized business owners today, whether it be their first generation or they be a multi-generational business owner, their business started because they saw an opportunity. They had an idea, they had a revelation, if we wanna call it that. They had something that they wanted to bring to the marketplace that they believed to be something that they could sell. So again, whether that's an idea, whether it's a solution, whether it's a service, it was something that they saw an opportunity for, either because of a need in the marketplace, a need in a location, or simply put, maybe the business owner was just tired of working for somebody else, but the idea is that this is a business owner who has said, I have a great deal of experience in this specific area, and I wanna bring that to the marketplace. So let's fast forward. Let's assume that the business owner has acquired the necessary funding, they've started the business, they've acquired whatever machinery, parts, brick and mortar, uh, fleet, that they might need in order to to begin operating their business and their business takes off. 
And what you see very, very early on for your small and mid-sized businesses is that it does just that. It takes off very early on. It takes off because the business owner and his few small number of individuals that work for him really understand the nature and the idea of the business. And as such, it goes off and it, it becomes successful unencumbered by the idea of employment. Because realistically, that's what happens next. As the business begins to grow and it begins to expand and it begins to see success in the marketplace, it has to start taking on employees. Unless it's a company that's capable of running on fully automated processes, it needs employees to do the jobs that it wants to do. Again, maybe it's a landscaping company. It needs employees to go out and actually mow, cut grass, put in berms, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's an IT company. It needs employees to solve the IT problems of its clients. Maybe it's a law firm. It needs lawyers. It needs paralegals in order to do what it needs to do. As the clientele increases, as the needs of the business increase, so does the business's need for employees. And when we talk about the internal and external market impacts that stop a business from being successful, it really derives from that very nature of becoming an employer. Because as we addressed early on, the business owner is very, very familiar with the nature of their business. Maybe it's a lawyer and he's very knowledgeable about law. Maybe it's the landscaper who has a great understanding of, of the art form of landscaping for businesses or for residential areas. Whatever the case may be, the owner or, or the person who has decided to kickstart this business truly has an understanding of that industry. But as they grow, they become an employer. And that, in reality, is an entirely new process of being a business. And it's because of that employment model that many businesses begin to struggle. So what you see is you see a business start, begin to grow, the trajectory looks strong, and then it plateaus. Usually quite aggressively, it plateaus as it begins to grow in its employment model. So those internal and external business structures that we talk about that are preventing businesses from being successful are derived from its employment model. So what are some of those, those internal and external struggles that we're talking about? Well, I think it's important to, to start off by saying that each aspect of, the, of these struggles are both internal and external individually. However, it is easier to identify one or the other for each of them. So to start off with, the internal struggle that is most relevant for business owners is that idea of being an employer. The fact that the business is ill-equipped to manage the complexities of employment and all of the necessities that go along with it. While a business owner, again, may be very capable of managing the tools, the equipment, the machinery, or the services of their business, they probably are not very well equipped to handle the complexities of employment. So what do we mean by that? Well, I think to start off with, we need to understand that as a small and mid-sized business owner, employment is not a core competency. So they're spending a great deal of time managing the complexities of employment, whether that's HR, whether it's payroll, whether it's onboarding, offboarding, whatever the case may be, that employment model brings with it a large number of requirements, and those are areas that the business owner is simply ill-equipped to deal with. So what most business owners do in situations like that is they get an HR person. 
right? That's what most of your small mid-sized businesses will do. Now, whether or not we agree that the idea of the management of employment related and compliance, employment compliance related needs can be considered human resources or not, if that's a little bit of a blanket terminology, what we need to understand is that nonetheless, this is how most business owners begin to tackle employment related issues. So what they will do is one of two things, and this is almost always the case that I've seen in most of your SMBs today. They will either appoint an individual within their existing staff as the head of HR, or they will hire an HR person within the company. So let's look at that first person. Let's look at the appointed human resource professional. And this is the person I like to call the lost traveler. In this case, what you have often enough is a small mid-sized business owner has said, you as the office manager or you as the CFO or even potentially you as the receptionist or, or, or administrative individual are now responsible for human resources. And that person then is tasked with building and creating an HR infrastructure of a very potentially aggressive growing organization. And that's a big struggle for that company in a couple of different areas. One, you've essentially removed a, a, a large chunk of time and a large chunk of energy that that person was spending on something that was ideally very, very needed for the business. And you've now put that energy into something that they are not equipped to deal with, don't know the first thing about, realistically, and that creates risk. It creates risk, it creates frustration. You have someone who has absolutely no idea of the job that they've been tasked to do, nonetheless tasked to do it. And so what does that person do? They're a lost traveler. They start looking around for directions. They'll ask anybody and ask anything, what is it they're supposed to do? They might go onto the internet. They might read a book. They might sign up for a publication. They may ask a friend in HR, how do I do this? What am I supposed to do? They begin to research. And as much as they may find some very, very beneficial information out there that helps guide them in this task, at the same time, they are just as likely to find some very wrong information, whether it's outdated, whether it's just blatantly incorrect, whether it's information that applies to one jurisdiction that they are not in or size of a company that they are not. Nonetheless, the information is probably not going to be catered and ideal to that person. On the other side of it is you've got to think that this person is now spending an, an extraordinary amount of time managing something that they don't want to do. And that creates, frankly, a frustrated individual or a frustrated employee who is now being tasked with something that is a very cumbersome and large job, given the, given the responsibility to do something that they just are not able to do and now don't have the time to do it either. Let's suppose that the person who is tasked with this happens to be the accounts receivable or accounts payable individual or an office manager. That person has an extremely large obligation to the organization already. Being tasked with the additional role of HR removes them from their ability to do the intended job that they were brought on by the company initially. Never mind the concern it creates or the risk it creates by giving someone a task that they're ill-equipped to do. Chances of this person doing things right are very, very minimal. The alternative that a business owner may pursue is what I like to call the unarmed warrior. In this situation, a business owner who may be a bit more savvy or a bit more uh, knowledgeable or progressive in the world of human resources goes out and finds a dedicated human resource person to manage the growing complexities of their company. And this, at a superficial glance, may seem very, very relevant for that business. 
But let's examine that a little bit more because I think that it's very important to realize that what they've really done is slapped a very, very small band-aid on a very, very large wound. In this situation, you've given a person who is knowledgeable about human resources or has experience in human resources the task of building an HR infrastructure within a growing organization, but you oftentimes given them no tools to do so. And a lot of the budget that is necessary to do this, grow a business, expand the business from an HR standpoint, is already eaten up in the salary of the individual that was given this responsibility. So in this situation, you have an unarmed warrior, someone who has been trained, developed, and honed as a keen HR professional, but has been given none of the necessary armor or, or weaponry with which to do their job. So they are very much unarmed. So it is your unarmed warrior. And these are the two processes by which business owners often begin to tackle the need of the HR program. Truthfully, neither approach works very well, and both of them leave a considerable amount of gaps in the business's productivity. So that's one of the other big areas that the internal conflict of being an employer comes from. It comes from this idea of improving productivity. What you have in both of those situations, the unarmed warrior or the lost traveler as far as an HR person, is someone who is ultimately unable to do their job to the best of their ability. According to SHRM, Society for Human Resources, they stated that 70% of the time of an HR person is spent on administrative tasks, trivial, non-revenue generating aspects of the business. The goal that a true HR infrastructure has is to be revenue generating, to help improve the productivity and decrease the risk of a business. And in both of those two examples, you do not get either of those two outcomes. What you get with a lost traveler is a frustrated individual who potentially is spending more time than they want on a task that they do not understand or the lost traveler excuse me with the unarmed warrior you have an individual who is very capable of doing the job of improving the productivity through human resource infrastructure but is unable to do so because they lack the necessary tools with which to do it so because of this you lose out on the productivity and the ability for the business to continue to operate at an efficient pace at the same time, it's important to notice that most organizations, most SMB owners are very comfortable with the idea of investing their money in aspects of their infrastructure that they are familiar with. So this might be on machinery, on tools, it might be on technology, it may be in their brick and mortar. They're very quick to repair something if it's broken, they're very quick to understand that they need to add on to the size of a warehouse or buy additional computers or additional internet bandwidth or even buy new fleets, new, new cars or trucks for their business. But most of those companies are unwilling or unknowledgeable enough to begin investing in their largest resource, which is their people. Unless you are Snapchat or Facebook or Netflix, unless you have a solution or a service in the marketplace that is so proprietary that no one else is doing it, the biggest differentiator between yourself and your competition is your people. And most businesses do not have the enough understanding to make an investment in their largest expense, which is their payroll. So what happens is that largest expense, that payroll expense, also becomes the least understood, the least invested in, and the greatest risk for a business owner today. And those are some of the biggest internal impacts that are going on. Now, from an external standpoint, business owners are really plagued on two fronts. The first is cost. 
And it's not just an external impact. Again, the fact that these costs are related to employment does beg the question of are they not internal impacts, but it really is the external marketplace that plays the biggest factor into the rising costs of employment. So one of the one of the most obvious areas that we see that is within healthcare and benefits for the employees. Many years ago, I believe it was about 10 years ago at this point, the Obama administration introduced the idea of the Affordable Care Act. And this Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare as some have said, have some, some have called it, had a number of ideal goals that it wanted to introduce, but one of the first things that it wanted to tackle was the rising costs of healthcare within the marketplace. It also wanted to ensure coverage of healthcare to all individuals, regardless of employment or not employed. It wanted to extend the, the nature and the total number of coverages to, to individuals who got healthcare, but it came with some costs. And one of the biggest costs that, that it came with was the need for all individuals to be covered under healthcare. And that's where we saw that ACA fine related to a lack of coverage of healthcare. But what's really happened within the ACA is a little less known rule or a little less known requirement called community rating, in which the companies that had healthier employees actually saw their costs go down, whereas the companies who had less healthy or a, a worse healthcare demographic saw their, their healthcare costs go in the opposite direction. So what we had is we had a leveling of the playing field associated with the healthcare costs. Now, in the marketplace, what the business owners saw, regardless of their political leanings and regardless of their belief or their, their, their interest in the idea of ACA, is they saw hefty price increases, the likes that many had never seen before. The average trend of a healthcare increase year over year can be around 10 to 12%. Now we're seeing companies with 30, 40, 50, 60% increases in their healthcare year over year. These costs make it very, very hard for a business owner to continue to justify the, the nature and, and the goal of offering healthcare and benefits to their employees. In fact, one of the things I hear from many companies when I first walk in the door is, save me money on my benefits. And my response is pretty much always the same thing. Stop offering benefits, and then you will save a lot of money on them. The truth is, is that many companies don't want to stop offering benefits. They simply want their benefit value and the benefit costs to be aligned. They want to stop seeing all of those peaks and valleys in the marketplace because they're an impact to their ability to manage and predict cash flow for their organization. So that's one of the biggest areas of cost, but it's not exclusively derived from healthcare and benefits. You also see cost increases in terms of workers' compensation. Every year, workers' comp costs are on the rise, although not as dramatically as we see in the healthcare arena, they are nonetheless on the rise. Because workers' comp tends to be tied directly to the payroll of a business, it isn't enough to worry about the workers' comp cost rising, but as inflation increases and payroll increases, so then does your workers' compensation costs. The problem is, is that for most businesses, workers' comp costs are not that beneficial. In other words, if I am a business owner and I have a very, very high amount of workers' compensation exposure, truthfully, I'm paying for an insurance, but I'm not paying for a risk program. And that's what a lot of business owners are seeing nowadays. They're seeing that they are paying for something simply for the risk of it occurring, but not paying for anything to help prevent those risks from occurring. That can be a very frustrating aspect of business for most of these owners. At the same time, you have the tax increases that are occurring. 
State unemployment tax has been going up year over year for most businesses. And for many companies, the inability of them to not only fight state unemployment claims, but even to know how to fight state unemployment claims means that having just one or two terminations in a year can send their rates skyrocketing the following year. So all of these cost impacts to the business are making it harder for them to remain efficiently running. So by what I, what I mean by that is that because the cost is so great, they're not able to funnel those dollars into more productive aspects of their business. And this in turn makes it harder for them to remain competitive in the marketplace. At the same time, there's risk. There's a considerable amount of risk in the marketplace today. As a business owner, you are having to tackle constantly the regulation and the requirements of the United States government, the state government, even the local municipality that wants to essentially make it harder for your business to operate. When you think of those agencies, OSHA, ICE, the Department of Labor, the IRS, these are government entities that while we may be able to say have a benefit to the employee and to the employment process, truthfully have become revenue generating wings of the government. Their entire world is visiting small businesses and levying fines upon them for infractions. In most cases, these business owners don't even know what they've done wrong, so they have no idea how to be prepared for these issues. So this is one of the biggest things that keeps business owners up at night. Am I doing things correctly? Am I doing things properly? Have I actually buttoned myself up well? Do I have an I-9 process that's correct? Am I paying people correctly? Have I created a safety program that is going to not only prevent injury, but should it happen, keep me from becoming liable for the risk of my employees? So all of these risks that play into the business owner's world are the things that make it harder for them to act with assurance in the marketplace, make it harder for them to maintain a competitive advantage, no matter how good their solution or product might be. And these impacts are truly, these three impacts, cost, risk, and productivity, are the three biggest impactors externally and internally to the modern business owner in the small and mid-sized community. That is becoming harder and harder for these companies to maintain a competitive advantage, to position themselves in the marketplace, and truly to continue growing and expanding, especially at the pace that they are looking to do so. Thank you.